0: So if you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we'll begin to read at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but uh, the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than uh, for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resisteth, uh, no, resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. And we'll stop there and just have a word of prayer. Lord, now we just want to pray again that you would help our minds. I know there's a lot of things upon our heart. and uh, Lord, we might have a hard time not being distracted tonight. But I ask you to help us with that. That we can focus and give our thoughts to you. That you might use it uh, to bless us and to help us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to somewhat of a turning point in the book of Ecclesiastes because up until now, it's been largely uh, a book talking about the vanity of life, the, you know, the frustrations of life, and all of the folly of living this life under the sun. But from here on, uh, it actually sounds a little more like the Solomon we know from the book of Proverbs. Um, of course, the proverbs are more, mostly short statements that contain you know, wisdom, um, And a lot of times Proverbs contrasts uh, something. You know like, for example, I just looked up a, I just turned to Proverbs in the first chapter and found this in verse seven. "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." Do you see the contrast that's there? He says, you know, on the one hand, the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. But on the other hand, fools, they despise instruction. And so that's the way uh, Proverbs often is. It it contrasts something that is uh, something we should, you know, emulate or follow or learn from. And it gives us the positive, it gives us the negative, you know, of the other side and what happens if we don't listen to those things. And that's that's similar to what we see in this chapter. Here we find a series of statements about things that are better. Um, if you look at verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. In verse uh, 3, sorrow is better than laughter. In verse 5, it's better to hear rebuke than the song of fools. In verse 8, it's better uh, the end of a thing than the beginning of it, better to be, you know, is uh, the patient and the proud in spirit, and so on. So here's a, here's a list of things that are better. Uh, and that's simply the title of the message, Better Things. Um, we all like better things, right? <laughs> we, we look for things that are better. Um, of course, we live in this age where marketing has figured out that if they can offer upgrades to things, uh, we often want, you know, of course, the newest upgrade the, that, you know, that thing that's better, a phone that's better. You know, this one does things that my other one didn't do and all of those type of things and, you know, and that's not just in electronics, but in all kinds of ways we look for things that are better. Um, lately, we've been going sometimes on a drive to see if we can find better air, you know, uh, that's breathable and things like that. So. Uh, I never, no one has ever probably said, you know, I, I think I'm going to choose this one because it's worse than uh, the other things. And so here we're told a few things that are better and we should take heed or, you know, we should want to hear those things. Six better things I'm going to point out. We're not going to take a long time on any of them. But first one, of course, is in verse one where he says a good name is better than precious ointment. And again, when he make, makes these contrasts, uh, you know, he sets up ointment, precious ointment, is something that obviously must be good, because <laughs> you wouldn't say uh, a good name's better than mud, you know. I mean, like, well, what isn't, right? You know? So uh, it must be something valuable or good. And, and in the days of the Bible, uh, particularly, and I, th- I think it's just helpful for us to kind of understand. Uh, what what this would mean to the reader in the day that it was written. And precious ointments were precious because they were costly. We'll turn for a moment, I'll just show you something I know you're familiar with, but it's in John chapter 12. Um, they're precious because oftentimes they are rare spices and oils that they would have to acquire and and uh, the extraction of these things were not as probably you know, easy and worked out as what we might have today. And so they were costly. They were valuable. Um, I'll just remind you of this story beginning at verse 1 in chapter 12 of John. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then verse 3 says, Mary then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, so a pound doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you know, a fair amount, and it tells us it was very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, guess who, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, uh, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he, had, that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying, she hath kept this, For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So here we find this story, and it just kind of reminds us that we see here this pound of ointment, uh, spike nerd, I don't know uh, what that is. Uh, I'm sure I've looked it up at one time or another, but obviously some type of a spice, some type of a fragrant uh, thing they made this ointment out of. And it tells us that it was very costly. Ju- Judas said it could have been sold for 300 pence. And basically, from what I read, um, that's close to a year's wages. So can you imagine a, a pound of ointment being worth a year's wages? Uh, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's quite high. Um, of course, they didn't get paid what we would make today. But, but you know, if you just think of it on equal... Things. So, obviously, ointments could be very valuable. I looked up just for, you know, kind of an interesting illustration, what was the most expensive perfume. And what I could find on Google was a bottle of Joy Baccarat Pure Perfum- Perfume Limited. Guess how much? My wife has a couple of these. A bottle <laughs> A bottle is $1,800. Whoa. No, Betsy doesn't have any of them, and I don't think she ever will. But anyway, um, $1,800 for a bottle of perfume. Uh, You wonder who buys those things, right? But obviously some do. So going back to what he says here is better is a good name is better than that. As good as fragrant ointments are, and everybody enjoys, you know, something that smells nice, and you can debate whether what perfumes smell nice or not. But, um, you know, and back in, I suppose, back in their day as well, uh, you know, they didn't have the same kind of access to running water and, you know, and hygiene materials that we do. So I suppose, you know, they had to sometimes pile on some, some perfume to hide, uh, you know, their odors and stuff like that. So, but he says a good name is better than that. More important than that, more important than an ointment, you know, the ointment might make you smell good um, in the, you know, in the around your friends. But what's better is to have a good name, and that's talking about what it's talking about your reputation, basically, right? Um, What people think of when they hear your name. I remember a colleague of mine uh, talking about he had he had a man in his church who he was a good man and he was I think even a deacon. And he had a business. I don't know what the business was, but he would go to these trade shows. And one time he couldn't make it. And he asked the pastor to kind of watch his booth at the trade show. And he said, All you got to do is hand out brochures, you know, and take, if they have questions, give them my card and then call me, kind of a thing. And somebody came up and said, uh, whose, whose business is this? And he said, Oh, it belongs to you know, Mr. So and so, whatever his name was. And he said, Oh, he said, uh, uh, I can tell you something about Mr. Whatever his name was, and the preacher thought, "Oh no, you know," and he said, uh, "There's not a more honest man in business that I've ever dealt with." And he said, "Phew, good. I'm glad. That, I'm glad that that was the the uh, the report." But you know, to have that reputation is very, very important. And how do we how do we get that? How do we you know protect that? How do we gain that? Well, obviously, uh, one is to be honest. You know. That's that gives you a good name, honesty. To know that they can trust you, to know that uh, if you ever, you know, if you are doing business with others, that you're going to be fair, you're going to be just, you're going to do right. Um, that's important. But there, you know, just um, again, it's just somebody said this. They said you, a man has three names: the one his parents gave him, the one his friends call him, and then the name he's made for himself and it's it's important that we get a good name a good name the bible says is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold that's proverbs 22 verse 1 it says in proverbs 10 verse 7 the memory of the just is blessed but the name of the wicked shall rot so the point is that you know it's important that we We try to live a life that uh, is worthy of a good name. And then we protect that, our testimony. Um, Because you can, you know, and I know always, no matter, sometimes even if you're not in the wrong, uh, somebody might slander you, someone might, you know, just be mean or something like that. That can happen. But we need to certainly not give anybody ammunition uh, to, to come against us. And so uh, I thought about this too. And just one more thought, and I'll move to the next one. I wrote down, Your reputation is the reputation of this church to those who know you and know you belong to this church. Do you understand that? In other words, um, you know, there may be somebody that knows, we'll pick on Cam, he's always the one we pick on. Somebody that knows Cameron, but they don't know anybody else in this church. But they know he goes to Castlegar Baptist Church. And so what do they assume about Castlegar Baptist Church? Well, uh, there's people like, like Cameron here. And Cameron has a good name all over town, so, uh, so that's fine. But, you know, uh, if, you, if somebody didn't have a good name and they know you, whoever this is, that doesn't have a good name, and they say, well, that church, yeah, that's where so-and-so goes to church, you know. And so it makes me think about that. That Obviously, of course, as a pastor, I, you know, a lot of people would think uh, of our church as what they think about me. And so, it's important. I'm just saying our reputation is very important. And it's something that we should guard and should try to uh, bolster by just good godly living. All right, so a good name is better than ointment. Second thing, the day of death is better than the day of birth. We see this at the end of verse 1. The day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, Now, you know, a lot of these you're going to say, "Really? I don't know. Is that true? Is that how? but it is God's word. It's, of course it's true. And you know, God's ways are not our ways. There's so many times when, you know, the Lord, even when Jesus was teaching, he would I'm sure the the Jewish people were like, "What are you saying? You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God." That doesn't, you know, that wasn't what they were taught. That didn't seem to that seemed Uh, counterintuitive, you know. But but we learn something from this. What is he saying when he says, better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth? We celebrate birthdays. We don't enjoy going to funerals. But, you know, one's birth, Job said this, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Do sparks usually fly upward? Yeah. Are men born unto trouble? Yeah, there's trouble in life. Turn for a moment to uh, Philippians chapter 1, and I'll show you something that, again, you've read, but in the light of what we're talking about here, I think it fits pretty well. Philippians chapter 1, and verse 21. You remember what Paul says here. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Do you think Paul agreed with Solomon that's it's better as uh, death than, than birth? He says, To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Listen, look, listen again, Is 22. He says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I won't not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is actually far better. Now, I know we don't think about death as being better. But you know that the Christian dead are happier than the Christian living. You ever thought about that? Mm -hmm. And, you know... Uh, I don't mean to be morbid or anything, but but you know it's just true that we don't we, we have something to look forward to when it comes to death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to dread death. Um, sometimes people you know aren't Christians aren't afraid of death. They're just afraid of how that might happen. You know, <laughs> not afraid of dying. I just don't want it to hurt or something. You know, but um, but you know really to be with Christ is far better. And I've even heard people at funerals, not, you know, like, not the preacher probably wouldn't want to say this, but, but I've heard family members say, you know what, I'm happy for them. Because I know that they are better off. They're with the Lord. And they know that if they had the chance to trade places and come back, no thank you, they wouldn't. <laughs> You, know, you think when you get to heaven and uh, you know, somebody says, hey, you could go back. and you know, I always thought about Lazarus when he was dead four days you know, and the Lord brought him back to life. He's probably like, oh, do I have to go back? Because <laughs> they wouldn't want to trade places with us. They're, they're in a happier place. So with that kind of thinking, yeah, I understand what Solomon is saying. But also, um, look again, and in, in, um, I guess it's the next point, really, where he says, you know, a house of mourning is better than a house of feasting because uh, it says, for the, for the end of that's the end of all men. Something that happens when you go to a funeral, you're kind of made to realize where we all end up. In other words, you know, you can live, go along kind of nonchalant through life, but all of a sudden you're confronted with death and you say, hmm, maybe I better think about what's ahead. Maybe I better take some thought about where I'm going. Because, you know, so I've had, I have heard preachers say, you know, where, where brother so-and-so is, one day you will be, you know, in the coffin. And we're all going to be there. You know, it's, there's 100% chance of death. Now, I did see somebody had a birthday, and they said that um, science has proven that those who have more birthdays live longer. You can think about that. But anyway, um, you know, we're all going to leave this world one way or another. We're going to die or we're going to get raptured. Okay, they're, all, they're still groaning over my... Uh, I was just quoting what I read. I didn't make that up. <laughs> so uh, death does make us think about some things. Let's um, look at the second one. And this is this, or the third one, actually. This is that one in verse 2 where he says, the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. And verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. Now, which would you choose? A feast or a funeral? Well, we would probably choose the feast, right? That's where we would rather be. And yet, um, again, there's wisdom to be gained at the funeral. I got ahead of my notes. But um, Amos said this. He said, prepare to meet thy God. And that's important. Look at Psalm 119 with me for just a moment. Psalm 119. I'm going to make you turn to these tonight because I... A lot of times I I type my sermons and I can cut and paste Bible verses, but this is handwritten and I didn't want to copy them all out by hand. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 67. Somebody want to read that for us tonight? Verse 67. Nice and loud, whoever wants to. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept my word. Okay. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. What's that implying? But now, <laughs> so I was—I, I, you know—I obviously went through some affliction, and I realized that uh, it helped me because now I've kept your word. Before I wasn't thinking about it, and sometimes it takes going to the house of mourning or, you know, to a place of sorrow, to a situation where we're forced to uh, slow down or forced to um, think about something. Brother Rick made a statement this morning in Sunday school that I found interesting. He said, when he first said this, I was like, what? He said, I'm thankful for COVID and for uh, this smoke and all this. And this class, we all look at him like, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, it's freed me up, it made me more bold to talk to people about the Lord when I can point out and say, you know, look at the world around us and maybe we better draw close to God, you know. Um, and so sometimes, you know, it's these type of things that can be helpful to us. If you're in Psalm 119, look uh, just a little bit over to verse 71. He makes an understatement. Somebody want to read that? It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn my statutes. Okay. So... There is good that can come out of affliction and sorrow and so on. We often seek the Lord more in the day of sorrow than we do in the day of feasting or merriment. Back to Ecclesiastes, we're moving right along. Number four. So we've seen that a good name is better. uh, The day of one's death is better. The house of mourning is better. Here we see in verse five, rebuke. Is better than praise it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools there's a lot of songs of fools out there <laughs> you can listen to tune in to most radio stations but um, but he's talking about you know uh, really the praise of men it's better to hear rebuke now again we would all prefer praise what do you suppose, I'll just use me, I'll pick on me. What do you suppose has helped me, been more instructive to me? Um, I, have, I have some, Richard and I were talking about this earlier. I have one guy especially who every week he tells me, and I think he really means it, but you know, I, I'll, I'll want to think that. He tells me, great sermon, Pastor. You want to know who that is? It's Ron McIntyre. Ron's my biggest fan. Uh, and I love Brother Ron. And I appreciate, you know, and I, and I appreciate others that tell me. Now, my wife, on the other hand, <laughs> she often corrects me and tells me where maybe I should uh, do a little better. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes I I get some rebuke or some nice uh, criticism, constructive criticism. Um, And it's helpful to me. Honestly, I probably, what I'm trying to say is this, I'm getting in all kinds of trouble. But what I'm trying to say is uh, (laughs) is that I've learned more from Betsy telling me, you know, you should maybe pay attention to the clock a little better. <laughs> or, um, you know, maybe you should say this a little differently or something like that. You know, I like to hear great sermon, but I probably learn more when I hear, you sure you wanted to say it that way? I don't know if that came out like you planned it. You know, and, and you can learn from those things. And so all I'm saying is that it is helpful those rebukes are helpful. Um, now, here's, I got a list of ones. We're going to make a little marathon trip here. Go to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. And Solomon's father, David, I believe David wrote this. Psalm 141 and verse number five says, Yeah, Psalm of David. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Isn't that interesting? And let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. So he said, let the righteous smite me, and it'll be a kindness to me. It'll reprove me, and and, uh, it'll be like oil, and I'll pray for them. And I think Solomon took to heart maybe what David Was teaching because if you go to Proverbs now in chapter 10, we'll start there. I'm going to run you through just a handful of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17 says, He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof, error, erreth. So if you keep instruction, you listen to Reproof, But if you refuse it, uh, you're going to error. Chapter 12 in verse 1. Proverbs 12.1 Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Chapter 15 in verse 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction. You hear that, children? <laughs> but... He that regardeth reproof is prudent. Chapter 17, verse 10. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Chapter 25, verse 12. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. That's an interesting proverb. Last of all in chapter 29, verse 1 and then verse 15. Verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And in verse 15 it says, uh, The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Mm -hmm. So back to Ecclesiastes. But do you think Solomon knew that there's Some good things about getting reproved. It's not pleasant. It's not what we want. It's like going to the house of mourning. We'd rather go to the house of feasting. We'd rather hear the praise of others. But there is a benefit from rebuke. All right, number five. Finishing is better than starting. Verse number eight. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit better than the proud in spirit. Better is finishing than starting. It's easy to start, right? It's the finishing that's sometimes the harder part. Uh, That's true, you know, when you start the diets. That's easy to start a diet. It's harder to stick with it. Um, Warren Wearsby said, he said, the long haul is better than the shortcut. (laughs) I think about uh, house projects. My wife rebukes me sometimes on that. You started... Ten of these, and you haven't finished one. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes getting them complete, and it's not complete till it's over. Getting married is not that hard, and some of you may disagree. But um, uh, staying married is is the harder part. So, all of that is to say that finishing is not as easy as starting, but it's better. And I was thinking about the Lord often reserves the best for last. Think about it in Joseph's life. You know, we see Joseph starting out. Uh, he started out okay. He had a coat of many colors. His dad liked him. And, but his brothers were not very friendly, and they sell him into Egypt. And for many years, he was uh, just thought that God had forgot all about him. But then we see the end of Joseph's life, and it was better. He was, he was the second in command to Pharaoh. Job started out not so good in the book of Job, but by the end, God blessed him with double what he had in the beginning. And so sometimes it's just, you know, the faithfulness uh, to carry on, to stick it out, to take the long haul and not the shortcut. Because better is the end of something than the, finish, than the, than the start of it. Our best is yet ahead. We started this church. We. We're trying to stick with this church, but I think our best days are still ahead. And God may be reserving some great things for us. So let's just continue on and not not quit until he's finished with us. It's hard to be patient. He talks about patience here in uh, verse 8. It's better to be patient than proud in spirit. And he says in verse 9, uh, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. So many times if we get impatient, we become angry. We become, you know, frustrated. We get angry. Uh, I, tend, I try not to do this with people, but there's a tendency in me because I can get angry at things. If you have something that just doesn't do what it's supposed to do and you just want to slam it or throw it or, you know, kick it or something? Um, and when that's there, you, you have to be careful because you might start doing that to your, you know, your, your son or something. You might start doing that to somebody else. And really, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be beating up objects either, I suppose. But uh, you know, he mentions in Proverbs, I, I wasn't going to make you turn back. I'll, I'll get there for you. You just stay where you are. I'll read you a verse out of Proverbs 16. If I can get there verse 32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city You know you can be mighty and you can maybe take a city but if you can't control your own temper then uh, you're not all that you're not all that big <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying there All right so one last better Today is better than yesterday. Look at verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? Uh, For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. So what's he saying? I think he's saying, you know, we always think yesterday was better. Uh, You know, every generation, I think, has those people that say, they always talk about the good old days, you know, The good old days, and I do that. I see things that we see things going on today, and we say, "Well, when I was a kid, you know, we all we all talk like that." Well, not all, but us older people do that, (laughs) and you will too. One day you'll do it. Um, But you know, the good old days aren't as good as what sometimes we think they were. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, uh, "The preference of good old days is a combination of bad memories and good imagination." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's obviously things that we uh, can complain about today, and there's things that maybe we appreciate about appreciated about former days. But it's kind of like the Egyptian, or excuse me, the Israelites. The Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. Remember how they said, you know. Uh, We remember in Egypt, we had melons and leeks and garlic and all these things. And here we are in the desert, you know. And they thought it was better back in Egypt. Had they forgotten that they were slaves? Had they forgotten, you know, about all the uh, making bricks with straw and all those things, you know? Well, we sometimes do the same thing. Betsy was looking up stuff for uh, Bible school. And I don't know exactly what this was about, but she was looking up of uh, things that happened the year she was born. You know what year Betsy was born? Am I allowed to tell? <laughs> sure. You know how young you know, she is? Now, I'm, when I tell you this year, some of you are going to go, wow, she's younger than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of you going to think that. And then some of you are going to go, whoa, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but Betsy was born in 1972. See, that's young, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Did you know Fairchild. there were there were Olympics in 1972 as well? And do you know what happened at the Olympics in Munich in 1972? There were Arab terrorists that killed, I think it was eleven Olympians that year. Anybody remember that? Don't say you do, because then no. you yeah, yeah, there the Israel team and there was a whole bunch of yeah. You, know. you weren't born though, to you no, remember it, right? Born, uh, not uh, not uh, it, <laughs> Had the Yom Kippur War and the gas crisis. Just, yeah. Uh, the yeah. Adrian, though, he just knows history so well. And he's got a mind. You remember stuff so much better than I do. I forget, I forget half of what I've learned yesterday. <laughs> um, but that happened in 1972. One of the biggest uh, political scandals in history, the Watergate scandal, you know, with Nixon. I, I can vaguely remember news of Watergate. Uh, when I was a child. Um, Vietnam, of course, was still a thing. I was winding down, but uh, in 72. So there were a lot of things about way back then. You know, we we think about all the bad things that are going on in the world today. Well, you know what? They went on in 1972. They went on in earlier when I was born. I won't tell you when that was. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think what the point is, is that rather than longing for yesterday, we should just rejoice in what God's given us today. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow may never come. All we have really is today. So we need to live for God today, rejoice in today, and be thankful. Because better is today than trying to live in the past, right? Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of Christ. So there's some better things for us to consider. Let's have prayer.